as I am setting up, let's have all the kids in here scream out their ages real quick. Go for it. Some of those voices were super cute, and other ones, obviously, you've grown up. <laughs> Who is the youngest person in here, though, right now? Maybe. How old? Three months. Anybody beat that? No, three months. So cute. And obviously, women don't age, so I'm not asking the women in here. Uh, but the men in here, who is the oldest man in here right now? I don't think it's you, Cameron. Sorry. I know. I know. Perfect. We don't need it. It's okay. What I'm trying to say right now is we have such a diversity of age ranges in, right, in here right now. And I love it. It's going to be a fun service. And kids, I'm really happy you're here. Uh, before we jump into the sermon, I want to start out with talking with you individually, kids, about your dinner table real quick. All right? You know your parents are on a kick with their health right now if you've been eating chicken and broccoli a lot lately. And for that, I'm sorry. But there are some other parents and families that go on multiple different types of kicks, right? It could be a TV show. It could be anything at all, right? Maybe individually you're in here are on this kick of Stranger Things. If that is you, I'll pray for your soul after service. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. It's fine. Or it's Obi-Wan. Let's go. It's so good. Anyway, uh, for me individually, I've been on this weird kick of fitness. Now, I'm not talking working out. Uh, as weird as this sounds, I'm actually talking about like reading about it, listening to podcasts about it. <laughs> I'm being serious. And like just learning all these different things about like how does a human body work? Why do people lift so many weights? Why do people run so much? Right? And the thing that I continually come back to that I'm like super fascinated by is running. Because if we're truly honest with ourselves, nobody enjoys the process of running. You may enjoy how it makes you feel after. But in the middle of running, you're going, why do my knees hurt? Why does my back hurt? The process of running is not fun. But as I've like tried to understand a little bit more about running, I personally thought that the highest level a runner could reach was a marathon. And boy, was I wrong. I was drastically wrong. There are things called ultra marathons, which basically is any mileage over a marathon. But here's the crazy thing. Ultras usually refer to 100-mile races. You heard that right, 100 miles. But sometimes an ultra could refer to 200 miles. These are runners who run for a long period of time, multiple days in a row to get to a certain number. And in a podcast over the last week, I heard of someone training to run 500 miles. You heard that right. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. My knees hurt. I agree. But the cool thing about this extreme sport that I've, I've really actually enjoyed is the fact that when it comes to the people that do this and the people that can push themselves even further, there is a scientific fact that women are better at it than men. Oh, during first service, I had somebody clap for that. Do you want me to say it again? <laughs> Uh, women are better at these extreme sports and actually pushing through pain than men. There we go, there we go. 
It might have to do with childbirth. It might. But there's a story, in fact, that there's a female runner who was finishing the final leg of the race. And she went down to sleep. And she slept 29 seconds. 29 seconds. And she woke up and she was mad. She thought that her trainer had let her sleep longer. She was like, are you kidding me? So then she uses that rage to go and finish the race. She finished 10 hours before the second place man. And in those 10 hours, she went home, she slept, she showered, and then the savage she is, she came back to the finish line to watch him cross it. (laughs) Woo! This amazing woman, and honestly, savage, is known as Courtney DeWalter. Courtney DeWalter is the best woman ultra runner in the world. And when it comes to running races of over 200 miles, she is possibly the best runner in the world. She puts in the training every single day. She runs multiple times a day. But her story has very humble beginnings. See, during her first ultra run, the pain got too great and she gave up at mile 80. She didn't realize that pain was a part of the process. And if we only knew this about her, if we only knew that she stopped at mile 80, we would think that she failed. And even further than that, if she thought she failed, if she was never willing to try another ultra marathon, we wouldn't even know about her. She wouldn't even be the example of this. But see, her story wasn't done yet. It was still being written. And sometimes our faith is very similar to this. We like to write off our faith when things get rocky or when a doubt comes in that we don't know how to answer or we fall into this hardship of life. We may even put in the training of reading our Bible, coming to church and praying, but when things get tough, we give up. And I know I'm guilty of this, especially in the past, of when I hit a doubt, I go, God, what the heck? Like, what am I doing? Is there a point to this? But then there are some of us who hit those walls, who hit hardship, who hit their doubts, and they go, this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to pursue Jesus with everything I have. And these are the people that can keep going in the midst of doubt, persecution, and hardship. And that push and that drive is what inspires us to continue to pursue our faith. And that is why Paul writes a second letter to the Thessalonians to encourage the Thessalonian church in how they are inspiring others to not give up in the face of hardship. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to start with verse 1. So if you have your Bibles, 2 Thessalonians verse 1. It says, Paul, Sylvanius, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and, and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, We ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the affliction that you are enduring. 
we have a second book to the Thessalonians because that church was not done yet. Paul was so impressed with what they had done, but their journey wasn't over. Their story was still being written. So let's pray as we jump into these verses that we can have the same courage, that we can have the same fight, and that we can be encouraged to continue to not give up. God, as we head into this sermon, I just pray that we would be still. I pray for the parents in here to know that it's okay that their kid is loud. It's okay if their kid gets up. It's okay. Because, God, we're here for you. And so, Lord, I pray that these words would reach our souls, that they would reach the depths of our hearts, and that we would know that we're not done yet. There is still more to do, and you are going before us to guide the way. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you who have been around since the very beginning of this walk through Thessalonians, the first book, you know that we've already had an intro sermon. So instead of boring you, not saying that the sermon was boring, but I'm saying you've already heard it, so you don't need to hear it again right now. What I am saying is I'm going to focus on the things that are different. Because even in the first two verses, there are things that are drastically different than 1 Thessalonians. So let's take a look at those first two verses. Once again, they say, Paul, Sylvanus, or some translations say Silas, which is so much easier to say, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing to notice is one Sylvanus' name. I don't know why that's there. It should be Silas. But those three are the author of the book. That's why their names come first. The second thing to notice is that it says to the church of Thessalonians, which is a relief because this is 2 Thessalonians. So we're happy that it's written to them. But then Paul does something that's a little interesting here. You see, he says, in God, our Father. In the first section, 1 Thessalonians, he doesn't put the word are there. But Paul here is trying to communicate something. He's trying to say, hey, guess what? Thessalonians were siblings. Hey, guess what? As followers of Jesus, you're adopted into a bigger family, a family marked by our Father, a Father who is full of grace and peace. And honestly, those words, grace and peace, are a really cool concept because in Paul's letters, usually grace is applied to Jesus and peace is applied to God. But here in this letter, we see that peace and grace are both attributes of God. God is the source of grace and truth. And so we see the authors, we see the recipients, we see a concept that we're adopted into a bigger family, we see grace and peace as an encouragement, but why is it all here? What is the point of these first two verses? Well, the three authors are there because they're the ones that planted the church and evangelized there first. I already explained why it's to the Thessalonians, but our Father is here to remind the Thessalonians that they are not alone. They are a part of something bigger. They are a part of a bigger family that is praying for them, that is trying to see them move further in their faith. And they're a part of a God that is bigger than themselves, 
And it's a beautiful thing when we read something that says, our Father. Because no matter what your relationship is like with your Father here on earth, you have a Heavenly Father that loves you. You have a Heavenly Father that is a God of peace, that is a God of mercy, that is a God of joy, that is a God of salvation. And Thessalonian church and we need to be reminded of this every now and then because God is a perfect father. And I don't know what some of your relationships with your dad is like, but no father, no, no matter how good or bad they are, is perfect. Nobody here on earth, no matter how hard I try to be the best dad I can be for Sammy, I'm not going to be perfect. But we all have a God that is the perfect father, that is the source of our grace and peace. But he's not just the source of our grace and peace. He is the way to grace and peace. And that's why Jesus is involved here. So Paul was trying to encourage the Thessalonian church, as we'll see in the next two verses as well. But here, there is an affirmation to the church that they are in the grace and peace of God. See, the early church faced so many different types of persecutions. Persecutions to death because of what they believed. But here we realize that even in the face of that, they were focusing on the grace and truth and peace of God. They weren't done yet. They had to continue this race of life by focusing on the grace and peace of God. And I wonder, Creekside Church, if we could do the same thing. Can we truly learn to rest in the grace, truth, and peace of God? And I know that we might not face the same type of trials or hardship or persecution that the early church did. But our postures can change a little bit. How can we approach situations with the grace and peace of God? How can we, as the kids in the room, come to our parents with grace and peace? How can we as parents respond to our kids with grace and peace? How can we respond to coworkers, to our neighbors, to everyone we come in contact with, with grace and peace? Or maybe it's something deeper. Maybe we need this grace and peace over our hearts as we head into an another election season. Or as you turn on the news and you see another shooting or another just mass killing in different countries and in our backyard. I believe we need to learn what it means to rest in the grace and peace of God. Because you never truly know what's going to happen tomorrow. And although we may not face persecution like the Thessalonians, we can all fall into a pattern of not recognizing the grace and peace of God. And maybe what we need to do is relearn what it means to mourn and lament. See, these two words combined, they are taking all your feelings. Feelings aren't bad, ladies and gentlemen. They're not. They are a gift from God. It's what you do with them that matters. But lamenting is taking all that we're feeling, everything, and laying it before God. Look at the Psalms. David crying out to God, where are you in this pain? What is going on in this world? It's laying it out before God and going, okay, God, here's how I'm feeling but I need you to fill me with your grace and your peace and your truth so I can go back out into the world and love everyone I see. And we see that in the Psalms, and it takes so long. 
it's such a long process. It's not like you do it once and you're like, cool, I'm ready to face everything. No, life continually throws things at you. And we need to get before the Lord and say, I am struggling with blank God. Fill me with your grace. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your truth. It is a daily thing. And it makes me wonder, when was the last time we prayed for the grace and peace and truth of God to be over our hearts? When was the last time we prayed for the grace and peace to be over our homes, to be over our communities, to be over Rockland and this greater area? Because although, like I said, we may not face the same adversities of the early church, we can be like the early church and rest and be filled by the grace and peace of our Father and Jesus Christ. And when we can learn to do that, we can learn to grow, just like the Thessalonians did. I mean, look at the very next verse. Verse 3 says, We ought always to give thanks to you, to God, for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Now, the first thing that stands out to me about this verse is the second word, ought. It kind of seems like it's a duty or an obligation, like I have to do this. Like I ought to give thanks to God. And Paul here is saying, thank you, God, for what you, God, have done in the life of the Thessalonian church. He is thanking God for what God has done and how this church has been growing in their faith and their love for one another. And the beautiful piece about those two things, faith and love, is that in 1 Thessalonians, we read about how Paul prays about those two words over this church. He prays it over them, and he's going to continue praying it over them before he writes the second letter. So this is why Paul here goes, oh my goodness, I need to thank God because the things that I prayed for, they are being answered. Paul was expressing a thankfulness for the spiritual growth of the Thessalonian people. See, Paul used to send out missionaries to the churches he helped plant, and these missionaries would come back to him and give these reports. And when Paul heard that the Thessalonians in the face of death were continuing to grow and continuing to pursue Jesus, he was excited. The reason for this excitement is they didn't give up on their faith. They continued on their journey. They kept focusing and growing towards Jesus. And so Paul feels an obligation to say, God, thank you so much for all you've done. Thank you for answering my prayer. But Lord, I pray that they would continue in this. And the Thessalonians grew in love for one another, and they grew in commitment to the church. And in seasons of tremendous spiritual growth, spiritual growth is growing towards Jesus that only God could cause this growth. Growth is not easy. It never is. But with God, all things are possible. And when I say growth, I'm not talking about numbers for them. I'm talking about a heart condition that has changed towards Jesus. And I see this call to be like the Thessalonians and grow in our faith and love for one another. And we are strengthened in our faith and love as we begin to spend time with Jesus. As we begin to become like Jesus and as we begin to do what Jesus did. 
But this all starts with time being spent with him, with resting with Jesus, with sitting with him. And we need to learn how to create rhythms in our lives where we can sit with Jesus. Maybe it looks like prayer, Bible reading, meditation, silence, solitude. Or maybe it looks like you get a pen and paper and you draw. Or you play the piano. Whatever you do to be filled by Jesus. Because what I do know is, as you are filled with the grace, the encouragement, and love of Jesus, you can then begin to go and spread that love, that joy, that peace, and that encouragement. But we must be filled by him first. And we as a church here at Creekside, we have three core values, and one of those core values is empowerment. And the cool thing about empowerment is you can't have empowerment if you're not encouraging one another. And I don't just mean encouraging like, oh, yeah, good job, Nathan, you prayed today. Yeah, let's go. That's not what I mean. Although you should encourage yourself when you are seeing growth. But it's not just about you. It's about the people around you. It's about recognizing God growing in other people, other people becoming like Jesus and then encouraging them and thanking God that they are growing. And maybe you have someone in your life right now that you're like, I need to say thank you, God, for this person. And I need to go up to that person and say, it is a beautiful process of watching God mold you into who he has created you to be. This is beautiful. Encourage these people. Let them know that they are a gift from God in your life. Because when we do this, the love in our community grows. And when love grows and is increasing, it is worth celebrating. And honestly, you all have done this so well. I've seen it happen week after week, the way you jump on meal trains to help families in need, the way you volunteer in kids' ministry, the way you come on weekends to help here with different projects that we have. You're getting dirty and just, you love it. You're there and just enjoying your time with one another. And let's go back to the kids because there are so many kids in here. I can't think of a better way to love your community than to jump into kids' ministry and love on the next generation of disciples. There is nothing greater than pouring what you know about Jesus into kids who then later will grow up to lead our churches. This is the love that I have witnessed from all of you. This is the love that we have cultivated and grown within these walls. But the thing I wonder is how do we grow it beyond our walls? How do we grow it beyond these walls into our own homes? How do we grow it beyond these walls into our own neighborhoods? How do we grow it beyond these walls into our places of work? Because that type of love and faith is worthy of boasting about. As we witness in the very next verse, verse 4 says, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. And if you grew up in the church, you may have been like me when you first read this, and you go, wait one second, Paul is making a great error here. He says, we ourselves boast about you. Hold up, Paul says somewhere else that you're only supposed to boast in the Lord. There is something wrong here. What's going on, right? I, I couldn't answer it. So I had to look up somebody way smarter than me 
to answer this question. And he uh, is a former, deceased former pastor, theologian, uh, was a huge part of the evangelical movement. John Stott says this about this passage. He says, for thanksgiving and boasting appear incompatible, since thanksgiving gives the credit to God, while boasting gives it to human beings. Yet there is one kind of boasting which is perfectly compatible with thanksgiving, because in reality it is a synonym. It is boasting in the Lord. In that sense, thanking and boasting are two sides of the same coin. When talking to God, we thank him for his grace. When talking to human beings, we boast of his grace. And I love that quote. I really do, because what it is saying is right here, Paul isn't boasting necessarily about the people. What he is doing is he's boasting about what God has done through the people. And I love this because Paul is boasting about the steadfastness and faith of this young church as they are experiencing persecution, as they are seeing family members die because of their faith. And this persecution is why Paul writes a second letter. See, when Paul left this church, he didn't think it was going to last. He was so concerned because of the persecution that this church was feeling, that this church would not last because their friends and their family were dying. And yet, Paul hears the news that not only is this church growing, but they are steadfast. They will not give up their faith. And that is why we see a prayer for faith and love. But it's also why we see in 2 Thessalonians, Paul write this thank you and boasting letter of this church. Because even in the face of death, they refuse to deny God. And this is a beautiful picture of endurance, to not give up in the face of hardship. See, the Thessalonians and Paul knew something. They knew that their faith had nothing to do with this lifetime. It had to do with the next. And a future with Jesus. They had the end in mind. They recognized their future was sealed with Jesus for the rest of eternity so they could step into any situation with peace, grace, mercy, and love and the confidence that God can only give because even if they stepped out and were telling people about Jesus and they were killed, they knew that that was better because of the fact that they did not deny their Lord and Savior. And this is why Paul boasts and thanks God for the Thessalonians because this church showed that any church can thrive in any situation as long as that church is devoted to the truth, the grace, and the mercy and peace of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can stop that church. And just like the Thessalonian church way back then, we as a church aren't done yet. We as families in this room aren't done yet. You as an individual, no matter how young or how old, you aren't done yet. There is so much more we can grow in our understanding of Jesus. There is so much more that we can grow in our pursuit of becoming like him, of being grace and peace and truth in every situation we go in. We're not done yet. And I know what culture may say, and I know that some people don't think the church will last. I know that. Some people think the church is outdated, but I disagree. Because as we saw a couple weeks ago during our Vision Sunday, we saw this 
kind of funny and a little bit silly video of years and years ago when this church used to fit in a trailer. And we used to be a set up and tear down church and we lasted through that. We lasted through leadership failings. We've lasted through pastoral transitions and pastoral hirings. And yet I've seen you continually pursue Jesus through it all. I've seen you find ways to seek joy, peace, and love even in the face of a global pandemic, even in the face of cancer treatments, even in the face of financial hardships. I've seen us rally and care for the poor and the needy. I've seen us be a place where people who have been broken by church and Christians come to understand what it actually means to be a follower of Jesus. And we have grown in our pursuit of Jesus, but we are not done yet. We must continue to endure and we must continue to grow in our apprenticeship of Jesus. And the truth is, we're not perfect. Spend five minutes with me. It's going to be obvious. But when we are knocked down, are we going to submit to Jesus? When we are feeling a sense of persecution, are we going to rest in the peace and grace and truth of God? Will we remember that the pain of this life will not last? And can we remember that we will spend an eternity with the creator of the heavens and the earth? But for now, will we seek Jesus in times of pain and doubt? Or will we give up? And I want to circle back to Courtney DeWalter. As I already said, on one of her first ultra races, she gave up. And if she continued to let that giving up define her, she never would have gone on to do all these amazing things that she did. See, she had to recognize that pain is a part of the process. And so not only did she finish a race of 100 miles, she went on to do 200 miles and more. And she's also training to do over 500 miles. Yeah, that was the person I was referring to. She realized that when she felt pain, it wasn't a call to give up. No, when she felt pain, it was a call to endure. She realized that that is a part of of the process and that she was not done yet. And so no matter how hard the race of life is, the truth is as a believer of Jesus, we aren't done yet. Our future is not here, it's in the next life. But the truth is it's okay to not be okay. This life is very difficult, it is a struggle and it is hard. I am not saying deny your pain. What I am trying to say is embrace it. Bring it to Jesus. Endure. We aren't done yet. So we continue to wake up and strive and progress towards being like Jesus every day. And just like the Thessalonians that grew in their faith, love, endurance, and steadfastness in the face of adversity, persecution, and death, we should do the same. And so as we enter into a time of prayer, I want us to take a second to think about the areas of our life that we need to be flooded with the grace, peace, and truth of God. What areas of our life do we need Jesus to come down and just say, hey, you're not alone in this. I am with you. 
Let's pray that we don't give up hope, but instead we continue to pursue holiness and apprenticeship to Jesus. Let's pray that we can become a people that is worthy of boasting about because of how God is molding us. So let's take a moment in silence right now and ask God to show us the areas that we need his grace, that we need his truth, and that we need his peace. thank you for the early church and the lessons that we learned from them. Lord, I pray we as a church would pursue to grow in our love and faith. Lord, I pray that we would grow in our steadfastness and our endurance. Lord, I don't know where everyone at is at in this room. But Lord, I pray that whatever burden we're carrying, whatever pain we're struggling with, whatever doubt we have, that we would come to you and lay it before the feet of a good, good father. A father who knows us by name, who says, I love you. Lord, I don't know who in here needs to hear this, but Lord, I just pray that we would know at the deep depths of our heart that you truly love us. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is known for our faith, but also for how we love. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen.